0: Uh, Rachel's written a whole load of books. Most of them are really good. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I thought we were friends enough. Can I not make that I joke? No. Okay. Every single one of them. Every word in every single one of them. I don't is make jokes about? about your babies. <laughs> okay. Great. Um, well, that was a good start. Anyway, if you'd like to read some amazing books, uh, I mean, this is one of the reasons we ended up at this point anyway, because as a team, we started reading. Rachel's books, and we were just inspired and excited. Uh, I felt more equipped as a a parent and more equipped as a a church leader. Um, So I really encourage you to have a look at the back. We have got someone who can take payment on cards now, which is extra helpful. Um, uh, So we've got a couple of parenting children for a life of confidence, uh, and we'll try and stock the shelves with a few more because we're running low on some of the other ones. And as well, um, it takes a village to raise a child. No? No. It takes a church to raise a parent. It does. Which is your new book. Yes. Do you want to just tell us something about that quick? Um,
1: yeah. So I've written four books for parents specifically uh, just on how to help them hear God's voice and to find their purpose and confidence. Uh, so Confidence is the third book and then one about the ninth. Mares and dreams thing um but uh basically over the last 15 years i've gotten the deep immense privilege to work with parents uh in lots of different church contexts and uh that's pretty much everything i've learned in 15 years of how to encourage parents within a church context both individually how do we position ourselves as individuals to be encouraging to parents around us and also how do we as a church change our church structure to be a place where we can create a culture of parenting for faith within that Uh, and so that book is everything i've learned in 15 years of how to do that uh, so it's written for church people and anybody who wants to get involved in supporting other parents. So even if you're a, a mom who's like, actually, there's people around me, and I really want to invest in that. Um, you know, if, if if you're just a regular old parent who want to be involved, or a grandparent who wants to support others, then that's also for you.
0: Yeah. So if if, if you found it inspiring, thinking around the kind of parenting stuff that we've been doing this morning, um, I, I got to read some of this before it got to print, and it's it's really helpful to think around the big picture church very provocative, but also really helpful in terms of shaping and, uh, I guess, deconstructing some of the things that we've always just taken for granted, um, So another helpful book, Uh, and there's loads of other um, books, Uh, but also the the um, parentingforfaith.org is going to have a whole host of stuff that that we'll find helpful um, moving on from here. Um, so questions, uh, if you have questions, do throw your hand up. Uh, we've got some um, here to, to, to kick us off with. Um, Luke's going to be running around with a microphone, so just pop your hand up if you've got something to say, particularly if it's in response to, to the question that we're already just on and you don't want us to move on to the next topic. Um, great. Um, can I kick us off with um, one that I'm interested a lot of your, A lot of the way that you communicate with children, you re- refer to the heart. Um, and, and and how you're feeling in your heart and all of those kind of things is um, do you do any do you, do you explain that is that help is that necessary to explain or is it just a word that they become they begin to understand more and more as you reference it lots.
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, I I refer to the heart because I think it was the easiest for kids to get. Um, And so for me it's the laziest language that I could find because they do sort of understand that. I also often partner with it with my hand because I talk about this is, this is what my heart is. This is what I'm feeling inside. Um, and they get that that's messy. And so I think, I think for them, it takes using heart language takes away the pressure of getting it all right in your head. Um, so I'll say, um, when kids are like, I don't know how to explain it, I'll say, well, just, just tell me what your heart's feeling. You know, tell, tell me it from your heart. I know it's going to be messy and you, it won't be all the right words. That's okay. I want to hear what's actually inside. And it, I don't care what words you use. And I think it, it helps them feel uh, that I want to get beyond the rightness into what's going on inside because that's where God cares about what's happening. So I I use the language of the heart quite a lot um, because that's where sin is, that's where he cleans us, that's where he inhabits. And so creating a space that that's what they speak out of is sort of my my way of saying the bits that are inside of you, the soft bits that are inside of you.
0: Great.
1: Does that answer your question?
0: It does, it does, yeah. Um, Okay. I'm going to go with uh, this one. Should you ask permission from your adult children to talk about God with their children, your grandchildren?
1: Excellent question. Um, what what I have found useful when, when helping grandparents is there's this very difficult thing, which isn't just around faith. So... Um, when, when it's your kids, it's everything from do you give them sweets to organic food to, uh, to how you put them to bed. It's, it's not just a faith issue. So some of that is seeing what are, the, what are the permissions that go around the other things that are in that relationship and sort of see what are my permissions in general. Um, so there are some, you know, some grandparents are allowed to discipline, some grandparents aren't allowed to discipline. So sort of seeing, seeing where the boundaries are and sort of assuming that the spiritual boundary is going to track with that. Um, I find um, what we have found grandparents do is, is the creating windows into my life is a really useful tool because often what um, children, our children, particularly if they're in a different place with their faith than we would like them to be, their main issue is control and don't control my kid, don't force my kid to do something. And so, for instance, praying around the table, let's all hold hands and let's pray, can sometimes be the boundary that is crossing because you're forcing my kid to do something that I don't consent to. Where you could just say, we like to pray before you know, we go, and so I'm just going to chat to God right now. God, I thank you, blah, 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 blah. So you're not saying you need to close your eyes and you need to conform to what we're doing. We're saying I'm just going to take a moment with God to do that. And so sometimes we find that boundary helpful, but also tracking your behavior around your children with the same behavior that is around the grandchildren so that they begin to become comfortable that you will not do anything behind their back that you wouldn't do in front of their face. And I find that there's that building trust, we find, of how I talk about God now is how I will continue to talk about God with your kid. Um, But also, um, so therefore, that's all right. And therefore, the conversation can be, you know, God's a part of my life, but I really wanna respect, you know, your journey with your kid. and so if I'm doing anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, let me know. Just means that even though we're like, I want to take every opportunity to pour scripture, God and wonderfulness into, my ch- into the child. What you're telling the children is, I want you in my life and I want us to have relationship and connection and this is who I am and I vibrate God because I love him so much. Um, but I also want you in my life and so I want to know how to do that in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Having those kind of conversations builds a kind of trust between people. But it also means that you can say, I'm just going to be me, and part of me is loving God. And so um, I will talk about it in my life, but if you don't want me to do anything else, then that's absolutely okay. And showing that that you will be the fullness of you while also uh, loving and trusting them because you want them in their life, I find builds that trust that then allows grace to flow through it more. also, uh, then you can do the strategic having books around your house that you like. And there's all sorts of stuff. And that doesn't stop you from praying, interceding over those kids like there's no tomorrow and building trust. And you can say, I pray for you all the time. I know you don't believe in God. That's totally okay. But I pray for you all the time. And if there's ever anything you want me to pray about, let me know. And all of that stuff of them seeing into your life and saying, This is my thing and I'm happy to. I know a lot of children who have grandchildren who know that grandma and grandpa are praying for them. And even though they're not sure about God yet, they will regularly send prayer requests because they know that you can't stop grandma and grandpa from praying for you. So you might as well give them something to pray about. And and all of that stuff um, sort of can feed in. Um, so you be you. Don't, I, I find it can feel so like you need to squish the important parts of you. And I think being able to say, I'm going to be the fullness of me, but I also want you to be the fullness of you. And I respect that. gives a sort of middle ground where we can talk. Um,
0: does that make sense? Yeah. Great.
1: So you can tell me if I didn't answer the question. No, I would. Okay, fine. I would. I told you I'd about eat your eat. books. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, uh, so maybe a good moment to go um, back to Hannah's question earlier. Uh, if we're thinking about um, grandparents' influence, wh- um, how do you, how would you navigate a situation where older kids uh, are starting to wrestle with faith? hearing stuff at school where they don't think God's real and they're saying it to their younger siblings, Yeah. Um, uh, what's helpful to know as a parent around that?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a good question. I haven't had any space to think about it, so this is literally what's going to drop out of my head right now. Um, I'm going to give myself 10 seconds to think.
0: <laughs> to the music? Okay.
1: Um, for me, whether it's a sibling or whether it is... At school that is a that is a narrative that they 're going to hear is god 's not real god doesn 't make the world and so um, for me, what we can want to do sometimes within families is control control the family faith journey and what we find is kids kick back against that so in in my in my experience of working with a lot of families, what we found most successful is you treat every kid as if they're on their own journey with God. So in that situation where you overhear it, you have two options of like, but that's not what's true! You know, you can either jump in and be like, no! Um, But you wouldn't do that at school. And so there is something of of allowing the stuff to be spoken to. But then I would separate them individually and be like, hey, you know, when your brother was saying this, how did you feel about that? And, And that can be confusing sometimes when someone doesn't believe what we believe right now or is struggling or is doubting or is thinking it through. You know, how does that affect you and what are you feeling about it? And... I know sometimes I have those doubts, and this is how I got through it, and, and this is how I respond when somebody else is doing that. So if your brother's saying something, you can feel free to disagree with him or to listen, and, and you sort of coach them through that. But then the other one, you know, going to the other one and being like, wow, sounds like you're really, you know, struggling with all this stuff, and how are you feeling about God, and coaching them through that conversation. Um, and so for me, for me, I have not seen it very successful when trying to, like, create ground rules for we are just going to you know, be in the middle of that. Um, but what I found useful is saying, okay, that was, that was really tough. And you can talk to the older one about sort of saying, um, sort of saying, it's okay to share what you're feeling, but just as we want you to go on your journey, I want him to go on his journey. And so our job as family members is to not try to control what each other's thinks, but to respect what each other's thinks and to go. So feel free to share your thoughts. But when you've reached a point where you're trying to convince him to agree and that you think that he's wrong and you want him to think like you, that's the boundary that well, we don't wanna cross in general in life, You know, whether it's about that or faith or everything, everybody has a right to their own thoughts in their journeys. And so you can say, this is what I think, feel free to think what you think. And so feel free to share your opinion in a way that's not trying to squish somebody else's thought process. And so it's, it's just a way of, of coaching them through disagreement while also feeling really sad in a corner and wanting to cry and wanting to pray over them and hope for their journey. But just because a child has said that they don't believe in God right now or they're not doing it, doesn't mean that they're not on the journey. It just means they're in a low part of the journey. And I find sometimes the ability to exercise freedom to not believe in God, means that they can experience what it's like to not believe in God and to look around at you who's having a great worship time or crying with God or having a great, and go, mm, I don't think I like this very much, and to come out again the other side in a safe place that's surrounded by love and acceptance, and so giving them the freedom to go on their journey means that it's not, their faith isn't about a power dynamic between you and them, it's about them figuring out themselves, and you want the best for them, and you know that's with God, but you're also happy for them to walk their journey.
0: Great. That's a great answer. Any follow-up questions? I've got, I've got one here that's slightly linked. Um, how, how do you discuss other gods with children? Uh, my child goes to a multi-faith school and at the age of, que- of eight is asking questions and there's multiple exclamation marks after that. So they feel strongly about this, Rachel.
1: I hate this question. Yeah. <laughs> I find this one hard to answer without knowing the child. And so I can... I'm gonna try to answer, but also know that it really, 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 really depends on the child. Because sometimes the question, there's a question underneath that for every child. So one, there's like the, I just intellectually want to understand other faiths conversation, which is different from, I have a friend who's a Muslim and I'm afraid they're going to go to hell and I don't know what to do with that. Um, and then you have the sort of like, other people are judging me and I don't understand. So there's there's lots of different facets to that question and I would answer each of those facets differently. So some of it is ask, is just digging slightly underneath that one to have them know, is that because they're doubting their faith? Is that because they're, they're just wanting to understand the world? Um, is that because there's something relationally going on that they want to understand? Um, and then answering that question. Um, how I explain other God's stuff to my... I, can, I guess I can only say for how I explain it to my kid um, is... Um, is for me, you can see God in everything and everywhere. And the Bible says that um, that even nature himself testifies to God. And there are people around the world who have um, who are in tribes uh, in Africa and in China and all these places and have never heard of a major religion. And yet there's something spiritual inside of them that wants to connect to God because God says he testifies through just the wonder of, of the world and people have tried to make sense of God and respond to him in lots of different ways. And out of that sort of came religion of trying to figure out how the world works. And so some tribes, you know, have looked and thought, gosh, you know, I see God in nature. And so they think God's a tree because that makes sense to them because they're responding to, to the godness that he put in, in everything. And they respond to that and they come up with a, a religion based on something because it's their way of understanding God because they they didn't have Jesus come to their tribe and describe to them God. And so everybody on earth is trying to respond to something that God has put inside of them to the best of their ability. And, uh, and that's why we have lots of different religions is everyone's trying to explain God in a different way and different people came up with different ideas and then it turned into a religion which has rules and, and ways of trying to behave and things. And, and that's really complicated and really hard. And I know Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. And he says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so my understanding of that is this, explain the gospel again. Uh, and, um, and so for me, when I look at other religions, I think that isn't the way, the truth, and the life through Jesus. And so my heart is that everyone experiences the fullness of Jesus here, because I think that's, that's the truth of it. Um, and I'm really grateful that I'm not the judge. And so at the end of the day, everyone has to stand before God and say, this is what I did with my life, and none of us are going to be good enough. Jesus is the only way we can come to Christ, come to God is through him, and he has a way of figuring that out that I don't quite understand. It's a mystery, and so I live my best to the fullest with my understanding of who Jesus is, and I want to share Jesus because I think he brings a freedom that I don't see in any other religion, and my job is to point people to Jesus the best I can. Um, yeah, that's my answer. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> there we go. Um, but, Off the top of your head. Yes, but that might not be how you answer it, but that's how I answer it. And I know there's a thousand different problems with the way I just answered it. But for, for my kid in the situation, what he didn't need was a theological breakdown of, of heaven and hell. He needed a, a, a way of understanding why people think differently about God and, and what do we do about it. So that's how I would answer it now. It may be a different answer in four years, but um, yes, and, and again, that's how I process it. So, if 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 you're still on your journey of processing the other God stuff, delve in it for you. Figure out how to say it, and then communicate it to your kid.
0: I'm looking. No hands are going up currently. Um, uh, what do you do if your 13-year-old you used to come to church but doesn't anymore, suffers severely from anxiety, and shuts away shuts herself away from from the world? And I guess I. I Slightly different, but a second question, how important is it to get our kids to church, as in to the building, to the gathering, every Sunday?
1: Read the question again for me. Uh,
0: What do you do if your 13-year-old daughter used to come to church but doesn't anymore, suffers severely with anxiety and shuts herself away from the world?
1: not knowing the particular circumstance. Um, my question is, are those two linked? As in, is it her anxiety that drives her away from church? Or is it that she doesn't come to church and she's experiencing anxiety? Um, so I'm, I'm gonna answer both. So I'll do the church question, and then I'll answer the particularly applying to this. Um, is it important to get our kids to church? Um, I'm gonna give the answer, which you guys will hate by this point. It depends on your kid. Uh, I personally, personally, I think... I think yes, because I think there's something about... Okay, let me back up. For me, church is more than about services. To me, church is a community of believers who are committed to each other for mutual support and love and, um, and spurring each other on and experiencing the Spirit together and blah, 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 blah. That can happen at services, but that can also happen at life groups and other places. And so for me, the question it can be two different questions. Is it important that my kid comes to his services or is it important that my kid is linked into a committed body of Christ that they are part of? And I find sometimes we um, get super focused on, we go to the 1030, so are you or are you not going to go to the 1030 with me? And so I think, yes, it's absolutely essential that children and teenagers are connected into a body of Christ that is mutually committed to serving each other and, and loving each other and pursuing the works of the Spirit. Um, But what I find is that you can actually give a lot of freedom to your teenager about what that looks like. So what I find a lot of parents doing is saying, church is about walking alongside people who love you through all your ugly bits and who pray for you and who uh, encourage you and share what God's doing in their life. And therefore, as a family, that's something that we do. We want you to connect in with that. What that looks like... It's completely up to you. So it is up to you. In, in, in our family, I need you to connect into a body that you're committed to and I need you to be serving someplace. You have the entire church body sc- calendar schedule to work that out, let me know. Uh, and so I've, I've known teenagers who were like, well, I wanna play sport on Sunday. And so the parents are like, feel free. You need to be in a committed body of Christ that, uh, you know, that is mutually sporting and you need to be serving somewhere in church. Uh, good luck with that. And so I've known teenagers come to the, we had an 8.30 formal BCP communion service, all red, uh, with three teenagers in it, uh, who came because their parents gave them that boundaries. And you know what? They loved it. Didn't love the service, loved being three teenagers in a room full of 60 adults with no other families. They're like They were getting presents, food, cakes, <laughs> people, they were loved by 60 people who would ask them questions. Um, They also were required to serve. So they could have served in the children's ministry. They could have been part of the worship team. Um, A lot of them were like, well, I'm just going on the welcome team for the 830. And they just made that their home. Um, There are other people who were like, well you know, some, some parents say you have to be part of a service because a service is a specific thing. So we want you to be part of that. But it could be the 6 o'clock, the 10.30, the 8.30, whatever. Um, you pick one, we'll follow you to that one uh, who wants to do family together. Um, my family, I remember when I was a teenager, I did theater, surprise, and uh, I had matinees on Sundays. And so our church actually couldn't fit that. And so my parents said, we're open to changing churches. Um, if that's something, if we need to find a place that you can serve and be part of the body and we were sort of looking anyways and they, they let me help choose the church because um, they wanted something that worked for me. Um, so w- when, instead of saying we're going to argue about whether or not we show up at the 1030, we're saying I want to see, you know, you don't just show up at a service. It's not just about showing up the service. I want to see that you're like helping people, loving people, that you're letting people into your life. Like this is church. You tell me where that works best for you and then I'm happy. Um, yeah, so it's that.
0: The other So good, yeah.
1: So the other axis is the anxiety aspect of that. And, um, and what I find sometimes is, is church is overwhelming, particularly for people who struggle with anxiety. And there's so much that's within that anxiety stuff. Um, and so some of it is saying, I understand that. And it could be a service with 200 people is too overwhelming. But going to an adult home group would actually be the best thing in the history of the world ever for that kid. And so some of it is saying, you know... I totally understand anxiety, getting them connected to other people in church who have suffered from anxiety and saying, I've just invited them over for dinner in a safe place that you're comfortable in to talk about how they cope with anxiety and just saying that this is is something that I see that is painful, that I want to help you find a place that you can be you in community and be loved and seen because none of us are made to be alone and that it, that is just that is just makes us feel so disconnected and disheartened and so I want to find you connections in a way that makes it okay for you um, to find those connections and find the body of Christ because that's how we were designed. Um, And there's lots of good books out there for anxiety and there's lots of things and some of it's just saying I'm with you on the journey and let's find those resources to help you conquer that um, in a way that looks authentic to you. So there's no right answers for any one (laughs) kid.
0: Uh, and just on the shuts, shuts herself away from the rest of the world. If 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 there's, if we push it to the to the extreme, they wouldn't even come down for for a meal with other people. Like yeah, it, ha, if if it's got to an extreme point, uh, or or it feels very hidden and shut herself. Yeah. It, 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 what's the, how do you how do you create Some a crack is, in that? Um, yes. Uh,
1: so if it's to the extreme. Because um, there's there's sort of normal teenager. I want my own space. And then there's something's wrong, and um, something's wrong needs help, and, and needs help more than that. Because at some point, anxiety can tr- can switch into mental illness or depression, and and that's when we need to get some good wisdom and some good help who's who specialize in that. Um, because and often the parent feels the most disempowered in that, because mm. at the same time they're entering into a depression or mental illness, they're also going on their, I want to be my independent journey, and so you feel like as a parent, you're the, the least powerful in this scenario, because even if they wanted help, it wouldn't be for me, uh, and so some of it is, is finding, is, is talking to, sometimes the school counselors can have people and resources to point to, but at the point that, that we're hitting depression, then we need to start... Um, really beginning to find some extra help because no one of us is smart enough for that and there are people who specialize in that that, that is, is powerful. The other thing I can suggest is um, what I find very comforting is even if I have no idea what's going on, God does and um, Jesus said he only did what he saw his father doing and I found that very comforting. I, um, my kid was deaf for about three years and, um, and through his like two to five-year-old life he was completely and so we were on sign language and i couldn't learn sign language fast enough and then teach it to him and so he would have you know normal two and a half year old struggles but then he just didn't have the words and there were so many times where he was just so upset and i couldn't figure out what he was saying and i was like okay god like th- i need you to tell me what my child needs and god would say the toy on the shelf in the bathroom and i'd be like the toy in the shelf in the bathroom? And he'd be like, yes, and he would just cry. I'm like, okay. And and God started giving me words of knowledge of almost interpretation of what my kid needed um, because he, he's in my kid's head. He knows what my kid needs. And I find that sometimes as parents, we forget that. We forget that that God knows, so particularly through teenage life. Um, I'm working with lots of parents of teenagers. And, and often we're like, is this when I discipline or is this when I stay very quiet and back out of the room? And you're not quite sure it feels like it feels like the the landscape is so confusing and actually going okay god what is the wisest thing to do right what does what is my child need right now Uh, in this phase and and just knowing that God is your companion who is faithful to speak who knows exactly what's going on and what your child needs and asking those questions of him I think finds makes us feel less powerful um, and more confident to say okay now I need to get help or actually it's just a matter of singing them a love song from the bottom of the stairs because they just need to feel loved or they need me to kick the door down and say you will not be alone and and we feel like there's lots of things we could do And, and I just find God is very very faithful to partner with us as parents to let us know the next step.
0: Wow, these are good answers, aren't they? So helpful, so rich, thank you. Um, still looking for any follow-up questions. Yeah, David, microphone's coming. Oh, sorry, you mentioned something this morning about parents feeling very guilty. Yes. Could you say more about how you deal with parental guilt?
1: Yes. Um, If you're a parent in this room and have ever felt guilty, raise your hand. Yeah, welcome! Uh, I find parenting, I just had, I was just in a spiral yesterday, I did this wrong. I was texting Mark, I think I've really messed up. Parents' guilt, I find, is incredibly powerful and paralyzing for a lot of us um, because we feel like we're never going to get that moment back. You know, it's, you never get a do-over. And so we're like, well, that's psychologically scarred my kid. <laughs> Hope that doesn't come back to bite us on the bum. Uh, and we feel like it's irreparable always. And some, sometimes it is. We've all made, you know, some big mistakes. You're like, "Yeah, they're going to remember that. That's going to pop up later. Um, and I, I think there is this guilt. And, and some of it is... Uh, Is letting go of the shoulds for me I find that we all live with this set of shoulds in our head I should have done this I should have known better I should have been a better parent I should have done this and the shoulds set a comparison that we can never ever Recover from, and we live with these shoulds I should be better, I should have known better than to do that, and um, or I should be doing this, I should be doing that, and the shoulds are like kryptonite for us parents, and so for me, um, embracing the imperfectness of us as people, I found really helpful, because actually, like we are all on a journey. this is in the confidence book. It was really helpful writing a book on confidence. I decided to write the confidence book because i didn 't know what I thought about it, so I was like i 'll write a book on it so uh, in discovering this, I really feel like this was significant for me as a parent, not just for us as kids. Because for me, we expect us to be better than is logically acceptable that we are. We are all learning. None of us have parented our chi- Nobody in the history of the world has parented this child through this season of their life before, ever. Like we are, every day we wake up, nobody has ever done this day before with these children. We have no idea what we're going to face. There's no shoulds for that. There's just hang on. But also for us, we are being transformed into being more and more of Christ. We are on a lifelong journey of becoming more like him and growing in maturity. And yet we expect ourselves to be perfect parents when we're 25 with a three-year-old that doesn't make any sense we can be the best that we can be half tired on no sleep at 25 in our maturity discipleship we that is the best we had and there's something about accepting that and knowing that God's got our back on that that I feel really really important we don't like I love I love Bake Off I do I'm having some emotional trauma about the whole channel four thing but I'm moving on um I know, I know, I know, it's big. Um, But what I love about Bake Off is is if you think about Bake Off, we don't go, we don't turn on Bake Off and for them say, hello, I made this. That is not the joy of Bake Off. The Bake Off is not the final moment. The joy is watching them make the cake. We don't come in and Watch them halfway through and go, what a rubbish cake we know it 's in process. we enjoy the process. the successes and the fails, and then when what's her name took his ice cream out of the freezer and then put it on the thing. That is such an injustice, but we love we love watching we love watching the journey and delighting in the journey we don 't judge the cake when it's only halfway done, but neither do we come in halfway done and go, what a bo- most beautiful and perfect cake when it 's only halfway done we go this is in process, and we are all in process as parents, and there are times that this was just my best, and I, with the knowledge that I had, that was what I did. Now that I'm smarter, would I have done it that way? No. Um, now that I know how it turned out, would I have done it that way? No, but you know what? With the best of information, with the amount of tiredness I had, with with all I had, I gave my best, and I trust that God, God's grace is sufficient for me in those moments, and so I just go... Phew. God's got it, and so often I'll ask God to do surgery on my kid's brain to take out. So I'm serious, uh, because I'm like, okay, God, I really don't want my moment of of weakness. like be embedded in there so I'm like okay God can you just do some brain surgery and like just take that memory out or pour your grace and change the memory in there and I just I just try to partner with God and pray over my kid and I apologize when I make mistakes and there are some things that I didn't screw up on I just wish I had done better and that's just about saying I gave my best at the time and God God turns all things together for good for those who love the Lord And I trust that he will take my mistakes and my weaknesses and my weirdness and he will turn it for good in the life of my child because he loves my kid more than I love my kid. And he loves me more than I could possibly fathom and he's got this. And he let me parent my kid in that situation knowing how I was like and still trusted me with it.
0: Brilliant. Um, I've got um, a question around, it seems like...
1: Are you adding questions?
0: Uh, I am, yeah. (laughs) Uh, loads of people have asked this particular question. Yeah,
1: oh, sure, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, uh, just for, for, there's, there's quite a few questions that have come in around um, my kid doesn't want to pray, my kid's find it hard to pray. Um, the next section is around prayer. So yeah. I'm kind of um, avoiding those for, uh, uh, for the moment, just, just in case you're getting frustrated that I'm not responding. Uh, um, uh, can you talk a bit about empowering and choices? It seems like a, you avoid a lot of the kind of classic... Tantrum moments, or, or 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 moments that where kids naturally feel disempowered and so kick off. Can you ex- explain some of the, the thinking behind empowering and giving your kid choice? For example, um, these are the values, but around church mm. you can choose.
1: Yeah. Um. For me, for me, my goal is to create a self-sufficient, eventually, please Jesus, a human being. Um, at the end of, of their life. And, well, at the end of the time, they go, well, no, you never stop parenting. So we, we say it ends at 18, but it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm still like, Mom, I need some advice. I mean, like, you never stop parenting. So uh, there is this, this journey of parenting. And, f- and for me, uh, God gave us choice in the garden. So when he created the garden, he put a bad choice in the middle of it and uh, let people choose and, and but he gave boundaries for, for thing. and for me there's something about helping children um, not just for me but just in, in working with lots of people this is, this is the benefit I have of working with lots of parents is I get to learn from a lot of parents and so I, f- I feel like it's not, it's not my wisdom, it's like the collective wisdom of the thousands that I get to serve and listen to. Um, and, the, and the people who I've seen, that I've really admired are the people who have kids who manage their own choices and live with their own consequences. And, and I'm not pretending to be a parenting expert, um, but because my specialty is on the spiritual life, but I find that, that that holds for the spiritual life. So often I try to protect my kid from sinning rather than letting them sin and process that with God and then come out of it and deal with the consequences of that. And so for me, um, for me, looking at how can we give good boundaries, so it's not just about avoiding sin, but it's also about living a healthy life and about making good choices for your relationships and all of that stuff. And I think kids need boundaries if they have open choice, then they're like, they're just lost in a field of choices. Um, But if they have too narrow a choice, like do what I say or not, uh, then they kick off against that. And it's trying to find that boundary of what's enough choice that allows them to have to figure out how do I make wise choices and what are the consequences of that and letting them live with those choices that I find um, the balance for me. Um, So um, I do have permission to, It's weird as when you talk about parenting. Um, So I always have like a list of questions, a list of stories that my kid has agreed for me to say. So just in case you feel uncomfortable, these are questions that are approved. Uh, And so uh, one of these things that I found useful, so like my kid um, was going through this generous streak um, not that it happens all the time but you know when they go through this really like well. and uh, so he was like five and we were someplace and I was giving away some old clothes to somebody in a bag and this kid um, had shoes um, that uh, he didn't really like and my kid was like you can have my shoes and it's sort of like oh generous but those were Clark's shoes that I just bought the, the new school shoes yes you all know the 37 pound shoes that are supposed to last a year right and we had just bought them last week and I was like <laughs> I mean, like I love Jesus, but how much do I love Jesus? Um, and so I was like, what? And instantly, instantly the other parent was, you know, saw my eyes and was like, no, 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 shoes. And, uh, and, uh, the kid was like, no, 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 no. And so he took off his shoes and I was like, do, uh, what do I do? Um, I, this is so much more about me than my kid. But, uh, And I thought, okay, so I just bent over and I told my kid, you absolutely can give away your shoes, but we don't have enough money to buy new shoes right now. So that means you'll have to either have no shoes or, or the other kid was like, you can have my shoes. Um, And so, or use his shoes until we can have enough money. Now we did have enough money, but I was going to make this thing like hurt. So, um, so, so. I was like, we won't have enough money for like two months. And he's like, okay, I really want to give him shoes. I think it would make his heart feel encouraged. And I'm like, gosh, I, I know, and, but I'm still going to make it cost. And so, because uh, so, I thought generosity costs us. And if he doesn't experience the cost, then he's not going to experience the joy of generosity. So, uh, so I was like, all right. <laughs> Looking at that parent. Okay, here's your shoes. No, no, it's his shoes. It is technically, that's true. That is his shoes. I bought it for him. They're his shoes. And so they swapped shoes. And for the next, um, and so the parent, the parent had bought two large shoes. So they were like the plimsolls that cost like three pounds, but they were like two sizes too big for my kid. And he wore those every day for two weeks. And so I kept trying to dig it in, you know, sort of like, you know, really make sure, oh, gosh, those look really frustrating shoes, you know. <laughs> How are you? And Because they'd fly off everywhere, like, you know, because he'd be running. <laughs> And I'm like, that, that must get really frustrating. And he's like, yeah, but then I think about the boy who has my shoes and how comfortable his shoes feel. And I think, oh, I'm so glad I made that choice. And I'm like, I'm so glad. Yeah, I know. Like, how did I get that kid? But, and, you know, <laughs> a year later, he's different. But, you know, they, they move on. But there was, there was something about his moment that I could have either said no, or I could have went and, and said, oh, well done, and could have bought the shoes that would have saved him from his consequences, his positive consequences. Um... We're actually letting him make that choice and experiencing the pain taught him something really significant, I think, about generosity and the cost of generosity and how it's still worth it even though it costs you something. That that I, I, I could have missed. And I think, I think so often in parenting, we always feel like it's just about the negative stuff, but there's all this joyful bits that we also need to create boundaries over and let them experience the consequences of. So it's, it's the same with negative stuff, you know, whether it's when you hit me, it, it makes me feel like our hearts are disconnecting. Because when you hit somebody, they don't want to be close to you. And so right now, you're not in control of your body. So I'm going to take a couple of steps back. But I'm always here to reconnect when you're in charge of your body right now. And all of that sort of language around boundaries and how I'm going to respond to you. I'm not just going to sit here and take a beating. That's not how relationships work. There's consequences for that. And you need to clean up your mess with us. Because when you got angry, you used your body and I don't enjoy that, and that means there's a little disconnect. What are ways that we can reconnect our hearts, and you can tell me how you're going to change so I can learn to trust you again. You know, I have those conversations with four-year-olds um, because that's how relationships work. And, um, or I could have just disciplined him for hitting. And for me, that consequence playing out thing, I find useful. That's, that's my approach, and that's how it sort of rolls out.
0: I like it. Thanks. So good, so helpful. Um, we haven't got time for this last one, but I think it will be a good one. Fine. Um, We have a seven-year-old daughter who struggles with making friends. She has a real sense of right and wrong with a real desire to help the oppressed. But this comes across as telling on others. How do we help her keep her sense of injustice while enabling her to develop friends?
1: Excellent question. She tells on people. Um, Depending on, again, depending on how the child works, sometimes kids like, like... some kids are very structured. And so if, you, if this kid is a structured kid, then often what they need is, um, because they're telling on other children, often it's because they're feeling the sense of injustice. They want to help people. And the only tool they have in their bag is tell, on, tell the teacher. That is the only, they rummage around, somebody needs to help. What are the th- tools? The only thing I have is tell the teacher, so I'll do that. And so sometimes it's about expanding their um, choices of what are the different ways of helping people. And with seven year olds, they, they can love role play depending on the personality. So um, if, if we add to their bag, what are the different things we can do? If you see someone being bullied, what can you do with it? If it's just tell the teacher, that's what they're gonna do always, but you can distract the bully. Ooh, what would that look like? And so then we can play scenarios of, if someone's doing that, you can come along and be like, hey, look, I mean, I was saying, what can we do to distract? I know one kid uh, in my ministry who was really into um, uh, distracting bullies, and the, he felt like that was his job, was to go around and distract bullies. So he'd constantly be like, look, a giraffe! And then he would like, grab the kid, and then they would run. And that was his, like, that was his approach, was you could distract the bullies. Um, I knew another kid who was really into distracting, and he showed me. Whenever I see someone bullying, I walk right in front of the person who's being bullied, and I go like this. LAUGHTER it's so weird they just walk away. <laughs> I was like, excellent. Uh, so there's something about validating being guardian of the playground. I, I, when I, I, I was a children's pastor for a very long time. We used to call it being the guardian of the playground um, and say, you're not on my watch. This isn't going to happen on my watch. Um, but you've got to have more bag than just telling on someone. So it could be distracting the bully. It could be going and putting your weight next to the person who is, who is struggling. It can, and so I know some people, we talk a lot about being weighty in um, one of the books, second book I think, um, purpose book about how you are responsible for where you put your weight. If if someone is being hurt and you let your weight stay on the side, you're not using your weight responsibly. You need to go, put your weight where it's needed. And uh, so sometimes it's like you can go and say, "Hey, I want to be your friend. Why don't you come play with me?" And and giving them a safe place. Um, it could be it could be that you tell a teacher. It could be that you come up with a game to play. Um, it could be that you get a group of friends and make sure that you find the people who normally bullied and make sure they have friends before you play. There's loads of things that could go in your bag, and. So so the the thing I would say is, is, is to do that, um, because then, and also look for the lost and the lonely. So if, when kids want to find friends, often they look for someone who likes them. Uh, so like me, sorry, that's my alarm saying stop talking, Rachel. Um, often they look for people to like them. And for me, particularly for kids with injustice, to say, actually, you are the answer to prayer for a lot of lost and lonely kids at your school. And and. How we find friends sometimes is to love somebody first. And so if you're lonely and looking for friends, look, because there is guaranteed somebody else who's lost and lonely who's just waiting for someone to come say, be my friend. And, and sometimes it's, it's about that. Rather than saying nobody likes me, it's find the ones that need you to like them, and you'll actually find that there's love there too.
0: Great. Last question. Will you set up a 24-hour parenting <laughs> hotline? <laughs> Great. We're going to grab um, 15 minutes. We'll be back here at 20 past for the last session.